You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, how is everyone doing? This is the X-Man Podcast, and I am your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you so much for checking out the program. Your boy's feeling a little bit cantankerous at the moment. I've been avoiding talking about matters of political natures for the last few weeks because the topic itself has been overwhelming. And... We're in unprecedented times. What's, ha- what's happening right now with the presidency being contested <laughs> is unprecedented. That's not even what I'm going to talk about because I think what I'm, I'm actually talking about, I don't think it's actually that political. But like everything else today, it's been politicized. And, and so, but I have to talk about it because... There's just some things you just can't ignore. And I'm cantankerous because I'm pissed off and I'm frustrated by failure. The failure, the pandemic, excuse me, the pandemic, I think, exposed our country, the United States of America, for its shortcomings we love to talk about american exceptionalism well actually you know and i think this is political because people who tend to veer to the right have a a very high sense of themselves in terms of their pride with their country you know that sense of patriotism and it's a do no wrong type of uh sense of things and people veer to the left kind of go the other way where they're almost so hypercritical that they view themselves as the evil of the world to a certain degree. And I think both sides are kind of looking at it through some kind of distorted funhouse mirror because the truth is it's a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, or maybe a lot of bit of good and a lot of bit of bad, but times of crisis reveal your nature. And I've said this before, You don't know who you are until you're dealing with adversity. And what did we do? What did we do collectively? We have a certain number of people, and I don't think it's most people. I don't, I don't, I don't know the actual numbers who I think, I think people are just living different lives. I've spent the last six, eight, six to eight months not really doing a whole lot outside of doing work from the house, be it working on music, podcasts, any, any, any number of things. But social life has been pretty, pretty limited. And the, the one of the times I did try and exert that, I got COVID. So it, it's been 
compromised what I would normally be doing. And it's had an effect. I, I don't like it. It's not fun. And I think you, and I think there's a certain group of people, probably, I wouldn't say a majority, I don't know how many, that that's been their existence, a muted version of their lifestyle. And then a whole other group of people have just carried on. They just kept doing what they were doing. Maybe some people listen to the show. I hope, I hope you've had fun. And that differing perspective, I look at it as a sacrifice. We're sacrificing now in the, in the short term and in, and in your life, six, eight months is, is short term sacrifice now for, for, to have something pay off down the road. And we failed in this measure because some things, they can't be half-assed either you're all in or it doesn't work. It's like a dam, right? If there's a hole, just one small hole in the dam, the whole thing breaks. And because of this rugged individualist streak that's at the value center of this country, where certain people believe that everyone chipping in and helping with something is somehow at its core an evil value. And to me, what that stipulates, I believe there are certain problems you can only solve when everyone chips in. And this is at its heart, a division. And so we failed on that measure. Close to 300,000 Americans are dead. Actually more than that, if you actually look at the actual numbers of just the entire pandemic. By the time this is all over, I'm sure that number will be over half a million. Just, just recently this week, this past week, we've had our peak day. It was 2,800 Americans died. It's about the same amount of people died on 9-11. And it made me realize that it actually doesn't, we, there's so many things I thought about human nature, or maybe it's not human nature, maybe it's completely cultural, where people will have these, these phrases, all lives matter, pro-life, right? Every child is important, but, and, and these, this reflection of what we're dealing with is it's obvious that's just not true. People don't really care that people are dying. All we really care about is how you die and who is doing the dying, right? Like if some little kid that looked like you got shot in the head on TV, you'd probably have a problem with it. We'd stop everything. You know, it'd be wall to wall coverage something like that, a terrorist attack. But if, but if you're dying passively by an enemy, you can't touch, you can't personify and you're old and maybe you're already a little sick already. Maybe you are unhealthy. People kind of think, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe you just had it coming. Hey, maybe if you're a little healthier, Hey, you're old, you know, you lived your life. And it made me actually think about in a country of over 300 million, 300,000 people is kind of, it's a small number compared to that big number that even that is still, it's, it's, it's random. Like if 300,000 people just disappeared, 
and it was all people of a certain age, maybe overly representative of certain demographics, we, we just wouldn't care that ultimately people will act in their own self-interest. And now we have the reason why I got even angrier this week, because this, this stuff, the, the death and everything has been going on for months. The anti-mask people over here, that's been going on, the whatever. But now we have a vaccine. And this was always the moment. This is it. This was, was going to save our society. Okay, all the people like me that tore. This is the only thing that's going to allow us to tour all the people that work in restaurants, all the people that work in stand-up comedy clubs, all the people work in plays, all the movie theaters. Listen, maybe you live in one of those places where all that stuff stayed open. Well, congratulations. I hope you had fun this whole time. I hope you had so much fun going out with all your friends and high-fiving. Hey, I'm having a good time. Some old person dying that I don't fucking know. Cool. But I hope you had a great time. You know, I can't imagine looking back 30 years from now, 20 years from now, while a certain group of people say, you know what, I'm going to, for everyone else, because I care about everyone else, I can't, I'm going to not do all the things I want to do. I'm not going to go home for Christmas this year. I'm not going to visit these people. I sacrificed. I gave up that. You know what? What I should have been doing was going out and party more. I should have. I should have been out in the game. I should have just been living my life. Can you imagine that? That that's what we're going to look look back on? It's so stunning. It's stunning. And I'm not going to say this like I'm the greatest person in the world. I'm not. All right? I don't give the most to charity. I don't. I'm not Mr. Look what I'm doing. I'm give, handing out turkeys on Christmas. I, I'm really not that guy. I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. I'm not. But I think this is the bare, it's the bare minimum. And I think it's, anyway, let me get back to the, the vaccine thing. This is the only thing that's going to save us. And now a lot of these same people who didn't want to chip in on these other measures that were going to help save us. Now they don't want to, they, they, they don't, we don't want to take the, the vaccine. And then I started to realize, well, okay, yeah, we have some moral gaps about looking at People, it's hard for people to understand that, oh, if I get it and I give it to someone, they get it and they get someone, they get, they get it. And the 10 generations down, someone dies that you don't know it's hard for people to understand. But this, it's like, if we did all the right shit to begin with, then maybe we wouldn't need the vaccine to save our society. They're having outdoor festivals in Australia right now. They're living their lives because they did the right thing. They sacrificed short term and now they're reaping the benefits. We weren't willing to do that. So the, now the vaccine is the only thing that's going to save us. And now people are like, oh, the vaccine, it could be dangerous. I'm like, what could be worse than this? <laughs> what could be worse than this? Where half the stuff you used to do, you can't do. Half the places you wanted to go, you can't go. All the people you want to see. Like I said, maybe you live in a place where you can do all that shit. I hope you had a great time. I can't do all that. This is the only way because we fucked up so bad. This is it. This is the only thing that's going to save us. And it's more, 
I said, it's not that I'm smarter than anybody. It's just that the fucking bar is so low. The bar is so low. We don't have any real facts about anything anymore. People just pull shit at, you know, it just doesn't seem right. You know, I, I looked it up, did a little research here. And I know, I know real fact facts aren't, don't exist anymore. Right. So it's all what you, what you pull out of your ass. You, I heard a guy say, man, smallpox, smallpox killed half a billion people between 1880 and 1980. And there were several vaccines developed over a couple hundred years. And the, the one vaccine that actually by 1980, it was eradicated and it was a dangerous vaccine for every million people, 15 people would die from this vaccine. Now, if you extrapolate that to current numbers, that's about 5,000 people. Yo, that's two fucking days of COVID. Okay, so that's the worst example of the worst, most dangerous vaccine of all time. It's like you say, hey, you're going to lose the arm or we could take one of your fingernails. And people keep they choose take the arm. This 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 lack of rationality is mind blowing. This. Disease of skepticism. It's a, it's a cancerous skepticism. No one trusts anything. No one trusts anything. It's like, Hey man, you don't know what's in there. They could do something about it. It's like, motherfucker. I saw you have 15 shots of Jack yesterday. You, but now you worried about what you put in your body. Shut the fuck up. Take the vaccine and shut the fuck up. You don't know anything. You're an idiot. Guess what? I'm an idiot too. So when you dumb and you don't know, it's like if your phone's broken, do you just get out a screwdriver and start fucking with your phone? No, you take it to the phone repair guy. Okay? That's just what it is. When your car's broken, you take it to the mechanic. When your fucking pipes are broken, you go to the goddamn plumber. You don't know everything. All right. Like I said, I'm a bit pissed off, pissed off, man, <laughs> but I had to get off my chest. Just, just take the shit. Shut the fuck up. All right. Let's get this moving. Let's get shit moving back on it and do some shows this summer. You sons of bitches. All right. I didn't mean to yell, but I'm emotional. All right. It's a, it's, it's an emotional time. All right. We have a show sponsor. It's a band called Royalty Cult. This is the third time they're sponsoring this show. Thank you to them so much. And this song, believe it or not, they hired me to do some guitars. So this song is called Enjoying the End. Try and find out, try and think about which guitars I did. And I'll tell you after, after the song. It's called Enjoying the End. And I think you'll enjoy it from beginning to end.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. So there you have it. That was Royalty Cult with their track, Enjoying the End, from the album of the same name. It was just dropped... Was it today or yesterday? It just came out. Anyway, they have a new album out. And remember, it's Royalty Cult with a K. Royalty Cult. This is the third time on the show. And yeah, so I did that track with them. And if you couldn't tell, so I did all the acoustic stuff. I did a little layering on the choruses and I did the guitar solo. And it was a lot of fun. Challenging like like everything. Anytime you get a little project, you go out of your way to make it sound good. And I, I, I have to shout out um akg mics because that was the first time i used that uh, i got this condenser mic and recorded that and i thought it actually ended up sounding pretty good head over to their website get their album royaltycult.com with the k they have a youtube channel check around social media tell them doc coil sent you that the x-man fans support the artists awesome also we have another sponsor this week Check it out. Hey guys, my name's Scott Bowling. I have a YouTube show called Good Company with Bowling. What's up? This is Clint Lowry from Seven Dust. Hey, what's up? This is Sonny Mayo. Hey, Ricky Rackman. And you're watching Good Company with Scott Bowling. I've interviewed bands like Limp Bizkit, Fozzie, Seven Dust, Corn. I've had Chris Farley's brother, Tom Farley, on the show. My show is kind of like a modern day Wayne's World. Oh. If you love a good interview, a good rock interview, or just any kind of interview, please, if you get a chance, check out my show, Good Company, with both. Go over to YouTube and check out Scott Bowling's show, Good Company. You know who he just had on the show? And I'm a little jealous of this. He had Corey Taylor 
on the show a week ago. And what's cool about his show is there's a degree, a high high degree of production value. You feel like you're watching something professional. There's so everyone's got a show now, especially in the pandemic. You know, you know how it is. You know these people, these pandemic pods. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, he he clearly is good at what he's doing. Has a great attitude. Has a lot of fun. So go over to YouTube. It's good company with Scott Bowling with two T's. And like I said, they he sponsored the show, and you guys gave him so much feedback. He sponsored the show again. So shout out to Scott, good guy, good company. Go over there, check it out. All right. And by the way, I want to apologize about my monologue. And we're, we're deep in, we haven't got to the interview yet, but sometimes Doc Cole got to come out his face. And I know to some people, it's probably going to piss some people off and understand that I get it. And I apologize if you're pissed off. I'm not trying to like, I'm not a troll. I'm not trying to push buttons. I'm just trying to keep it real. And... Even if you disagree with me, understand, I respect your point of view, but I just, sometimes you just gotta, you gotta let it out. Just gotta let it out. So anyway, we're trying to save lives here, guys. Save lives. All right. The guest. We have a great guest, right? This is, this is a dude. I toured with this dude last year. Was it last year? I'm, I, all the years are running, running together for me. I think it was last year. And such a badass guitar player, killer songwriter, so professional. I, you know, as much as I'm kissing his ass now, I kiss his ass even more in the actual interview. And I talk about it. I was trying to, I wanted to hang out with him, but he's, he's too professional. He's too, too much of a healthy guy, but I finally tracked him down. Papa Roach, such an amazing band, such nice guys and really inspirational to, to be around in terms of just, just a career, man. I mean, these guys, it's so hard to have consistency, to to have success, but then keep it. And, and I'm just really glad he took out, took his time out of his day to actually do an interview with me. So I'm not going to talk anymore. Please check out my conversation with the amazingly talented and handsome. Like, I'm, I'm always complimenting. I'm, I'm very lucky to get very good-looking people on my show. And he's, he's up there. He doesn't age. You know, I love it. Anyway, check out this interview with my main man, Jerry Horton. So actually what happened to me is my girlfriend and I both got COVID like a month ago. Oh, yeah. What? And it, and it really sucked. Uh, <laughs> and uh, how bad was it? I mean... For me, it's like three days of pure, like the worst uh, fever you've ever had, you know, chills, body aches. I mean, you can't get, you can't get warm, you know, uh, you know, just like headache. I mean, you're just like, you literally like feel like you're dying. But my girlfriend, that it was, she was like that for a week, you know? And, and then, so when that kind of breaks, you're still like jacked up but you're more like tired and like you still have the cough and you still have this weird nasal thing like where you that because she lost her sense of taste and smell but then it's just you know what it is but you know what really gets you is just like just being stuck like literally stuck because you know you're just like i can't go anywhere hang out with anybody because i I wouldn't want to infect anybody i think just the mental side has gotten to me so but now I'm 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 negative now, so I can like do things. But my girlfriend's still testing positive, so it's like we 
we can't do things. But even now, yeah, right. it's peaking across the country. So it's like yeah. the most dangerous yep. thing. But, uh, but how are you doing? This is about me. This is, this, we're here for you, Gary. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, doing well. We're, uh, we're in the middle of recording and all that. Um, I'm actually at home, and I think Jacoby is down in L.A. doing vocals. So we kind of have been going in shifts. Uh, we started all together. Um, we did some writing. We, we rented a, a house in Temecula. <clears throat> all like all, all the band guys and, um, the producers we wrote for a, a month and then got, went back down there to record. Um, and we got, you know, most of the bass and guitar done and then Tony went down a couple of weeks ago and um, did all the drums and now Jacoby's down there. So was this, so, was this, was this the plan or did, you know, COVID times kind of just push everything up that, you know, cause I know you guys had the big tour with five finger and luckily yeah. oh, you, you know, your record had been out not even a year, I guess, you know, your record came out, I think right before our record came out, it was like the end of summer, right? Yep. 2019. Yep. So this, so obviously this stuff happened earlier than it probably would have happened otherwise, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we had so before we had a European tour in March, February, March. Um, that was when, like five days before we were supposed to start that tour, I broke my finger fingers. Oh, I saw that. That, um, that was, that was, that didn't yeah. look fun. Yeah, it was, it wasn't fun. Uh, and <clears throat> while it, like right after it happened, I kind of was deluding myself into thinking that maybe I just sprained it. And then it was kind of like on the way to the hospital, it hit me that I wasn't going to go, I wasn't going to be going on tour. And it was the first time you know, that I had missed anything. So it was rough, but we had, we, we have a guy that's, he plays second guitar. Anthony. So he already knows, he already knows everything, Anthony. So it was kind of, in that way, it was kind of a seamless thing. And then, um, so that tour went for three weeks, supposed to go for a month. It went for three weeks. And then, a week before it was supposed to end, everybody had to come home. Yeah. And yeah, we, then, and then we had the five finger thing was supposed to happen. And then I think after that, we had some festivals that we had to cancel. We were supposed to be on aftershock and a bunch of different ones. So. Yeah. Yep. It's, it, it's, 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 it's a bummer. And I know that that five finger tour is going to be big. That was a big tour. Uh, you know, they their album was just coming out and, and blowing up and they're just, you know, between the, you know, it was just, it was a, it was a stacked lineup. And I mean, across the board, I mean, everyone got fucked this year and yep. our whole industry uh, is taking a big hit. And obviously that filters down to the fans who they don't have their outlet, you know, of, you know, to go to a show yep. and hang with their friends and we're all, you know, but yeah, but I'm, I'm at that point where I'm just like, 
feel just feeling it. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, God damn it, I need to get out of this house and do something. You know, yeah. like I would do the uh the jam nights in LA. I don't know if you heard of the ultimate jam night they used to have down. Yeah. There. Now I'm sure it'll come back when everything's back to normal, but you know, just even that, like going out and just playing one song sometimes would just like right. kind yeah. of feed that little thing in me that just yeah. just just needs that little jolt of excitement you know um yep so it's uh it listen it's 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 rough for all of us but i know you guys did a you did a live stream thing that looked like it came out really cool we did yeah it was that was fun it was you know obviously a little strange and not really we didn't treat it like a live show you know we treated it more kind of like a a in studio thing you know yeah um but yeah i mean it was it was fun it it, it kind of gave us a you know a partial fix just because we could jam together and um you know it was like celebrating the first record and and sort of revisiting some of those songs that we hadn't played in a long time and yeah it was a lot of fun well you know we, we got to tour together last last summer and before that i think the only thing i'd ever done with you with my old band god forbid we did a few festivals in europe in 2009 so we got to kind of see each other and i yeah you know, i was a fan of the band going back to 01 you know i had the first record i saw you guys on on Ozfest, and you know i'm very fascinated by career arcs you know especially for uh -huh. bands that last that persevere you know especially uh, amidst changing trends right you come around and one thing's popular the landscape changes how do you survive right and you guys to yeah. me, one of the most interesting bands with that in how you survived how you thrived but you have this interesting situation where you guys came out like a rocket ship. You know, your first album, yeah. what did it sell? Like five, six million copies in the United States, something like that? Mm -hmm. Something like that, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, what was that like? Because, you know, but anytime I have a guest on the show, I, I review the catalog and I, I go through it and listening to it. And it's funny because Pop Roach gets kind of tagged as a new metal band. But when yeah. I listen to the band, especially with the hindsight of kind of like being out of the moment, to me, it's like you guys are definitively a rock band first in yep. terms of just like the, <laughs> the aesthetic. And, but I actually, to me, like the really like at the, the underpinnings of all that is like, I hear a lot of like post hardcore and even stuff that, and maybe that's just like a California thing, you know, like maybe it has a little bit, you know, that's not too different from a band like Rise Against. Or something like, yeah. you know, like I wouldn't call it emo, but it's like this kind of no. post-punk energy, really guitar-driven, chord-based energy thing uh, that always yeah. has this melody. Like it's 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 like there's just there's a little bit of warp tour in in Papa Roach. Yeah, that's kind of been there yeah. from from the beginning. So you're uh, obviously a a very astute musician um new metal you know came about from journalists who didn't really know what to make of you know that 
sort of just the rapping. And, That's uh, probably just it, right? Just the rapping and the groove, I guess. I mean, I think it works for somebody like Corn, maybe the new metal title. But I feel like we were just like, like you said, there was so basically. I'll just run down the influences early on or uh, in that period of time. Anyway, at least I didn't ask you, you know what I'm saying? You're doing it on your own. <laughs> yeah. So what are your influences? <laughs> but this is just to, this is just to reinforce kind of what you were saying though, because you know, we had like, you know, it was chili peppers, faith, no more, um, you know, social D bad religion. Yeah. I hear uh, that. Rancid. And then, you know, we, we loved like some of the hardcore bands. A really big uh, influence on us was um, Snapcase. Oh, I hear that. Um, and then, like, obviously, Deftones and um, some Far in there. And then, obviously, East East Coast hip hop, um, Wu Tang, um, Tribe. You know, Karis One. We were listening to pretty much all of that Biggie, and and so, you know, it's just like we just threw all that in a in a blender and just you know mixed it up. And then it's funny because like we were definitely like we we kind of let the the punk rock hardcore side shine through a little more. But while we were on Warp Tour, you know, because it was mostly like punk rock and hardcore bands, like we were called, we were the metal band on the tour. Yeah. Um, well, you guys, which played, is you back then, though, I remember seeing you on Ozfest and you perform like a metal band, though, like the energy yeah. kind of like and Jacoby was so pissed off back then. <laughs> and the like, it just felt like a metal band, even though sonically yeah no and you guys like i said you guys rocked out like you were a hardcore band or something even though the music was yeah. very listenable you know right yeah yeah jacoby wasn't i mean he not to say he wasn't happy on ozfest but it was our first real experience with amphitheaters and having seats up front and Adjustment. up until that point it was it was all like you know massive pit and no rules and whatever and and Ozfest was rules and seats and and judgment yeah because like you know a lot of those guys were paying two and three times the price of the lawn tickets are older and they're waiting for ozzy and they're having sitting down having their beer and you know saying well who are these kids you know and Jacoby didn't really know how to deal with it at the t- at the time. So listen, it's all it's all a uh, a learning experience. I mean, I didn't really even because I did Ozfest in '04 and I did Mayhem mm-hmm. Fest '09, but I was on the second stage, so I never. And sometimes yeah. you would see like you know you'd walk over there and watch like Black Label or like some of the bands that were opening up, and it would it'd be shot over there if you were early on. Yeah. Be, and I was like, right. man, I'm, I'll be like, man, I'm even though we're playing at fucking ten in the morning, I'm actually way happier playing on the side stage than the main stage if you're like first on because it's very yep. sparse. Even though technically more people yep. are probably watching you, you know, yeah, right? 
it's just not, it's not the same vibe yeah but we listen we did that my first real experience was with five finger 2018 you know we did the whole you know you know the circuit of of, of amphitheaters yep. and i i tell you now i actually quite enjoyed it you know uh it was like because yeah. it's, it's especially in the daytime there's just like a fun summertime vibe you can see everyone's faces you know the way the amphitheaters are set up and it's like i don't know i think it's it's helpful to like be able to perform in different environments as just as a yeah. professional act to say the environment is not going to dictate how we perform that we're going to kind of impose yeah. our will on wherever you put us you know yeah yeah that's a i, th I think that's a learned thing and um you know, it's just like, I mean, I wouldn't say it's making the best of the situation, but it kind of is, you know? Yeah. So this first, this first album, I mean, how old were you guys when, when, when this came out? I was, let's see, I was 25. Okay. So you're a little older than me. Yeah. So you, and then Beethoven was, I think, Tobin, I think was 19. Oh, damn. So he's like my age or actually a little younger. A little younger, yeah. Well, no, no, it's, it's just, listen, I, I've been doing this for so long. And then we have an experience like zombie happen. And we're, you know, I'm 30 fucking seven years old or whatever. And, but you guys have that happen with Last Resort on a yeah. much bigger scale. I mean, what, I mean, what was that process like? I mean, was it too much to handle? Was it, I mean, cause you're a very, like, so I call you, it is in my mind. I don't mean I say this to anyone else. This is in my mind. This is elusive Jerry. All right. When we did this tour, all I wanted to do was hang out with Jerry. I was like, this is the cool dude. All right. He's got the riffs. All right. He's got the skills. I need to absorb his power and hang out and bond with Jerry. But Jerry was nowhere to be found, all right? Because he was, like, probably doing sit-ups and eating celery, you know, and saying his prayers <laughs> and vitamins and, like, you know, doing healthy American things, you know? <laughs> uh, so is that – were you that person like back that. then? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, like – I haven't – I. It, it's annoying to a lot of people that I haven't changed really at all. But, you know, I'm just kind of like slow and steady. Um, at that time, we, so when we started the Warp Tour, we were on the third stage playing at around noon. And two weeks later, we were headlining on the main stage. And they'll just with, do that? They'll just like literally just give you that slot do they pay you anymore <laughs> no they didn't pay us anymore <laughs> that's nice of them. Uh, they put us on that stage mostly i think for like security safety reasons because we had you know twelve thousand people in a in an area that fit like 2500 so they yeah. were just like we got to put these guys over here so we were like headlining with green day and no effects and it was wild, man. And were you always it was so crazy? You, you were never party guy. You were always chill. No, I mean, no, I, I, I drank like once or twice. Didn't like it. 
you know, figured I could have fun without it. And I mean, I'll hang out with my friends, but I'm good. Yeah. L- listen, well, yeah, listen, I, 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 nothing but respect, you know, but you know, that, but that probably allows, probably allows you to handle something like that a little better than someone who's deep in it. Like Jacoby was deep in it, right? It, it got, yeah, it got a little crazy. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of went, it kind of hit peak crazy at the end of that cycle and going into the second record. Um, that's kind of when it went off the rails, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was nuts. I mean, did, did you have that, those kind of ambitions before that? Because really when you have a situation like that, I mean, you guys were, you know, obviously huge at radio, but the major, you guys were like TRL and all that shit was probably still happening. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. doing the award shows. I mean, it went, you went right to the prime time essentially yeah that i mean was that intimidating or was it yeah i mean it was like especially because right after the warp tour we went on tour with corn and um those guys were amazing to us you know they they let us basically they didn't clamp us at all they didn't you know they said you can have the whole stage you can have the whole sound you know the whole pa and um and then, you know, we, we ended up like hanging out, mostly hanging out with Fieldy and he was like giving us advice and like, you know, he's like, grasshoppers, let me tell you, you know, what, what you need to do. Save and, your money. You know, he's. <laughs> Buy a house. Yeah. He tried to, he, he tried to say that. Well, it's funny because he was giving us advice, you know, while they, he had his own bus and you know, they had like a truck full of Coors Light and, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, they were living it up, but of course they were headlining arenas so they could do that. But, um, truck you know, he was, Coors he was Light. saying there was a Coors Light truck, a truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what was it? Well, first off, I know they can't drink all that. So they were just having the crazy after parties. Is yeah. that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then, uh, so he was like, look, you know, most bands, it takes them a year or two to really like build a following and get to that level. And you guys just went first, first single. So he's like, don't expect it to last, you know, figure out what you got to do to, you know, make adjustments or, you know, just be prepared because, you know, the likelihood of a band like staying right on top on a first single is it's it's not not in your the odds are not in your favor so we kind of had that in the back of our minds but of course while it's happening you're thinking that it's just going to last forever you know well i just tortured you 20 years after that it was doing pretty fucking good (laughs) i mean we're doing good it's not you know we're not like i mean we were doing the venues we were doing the venues we were doing was like right under the it's right in between the theater and arena level, which is kind of a cool yeah. level because there's not that many bands. Like I'm trying to think who would be at that level, maybe like a hailstorm or yeah. maybe like a Megadeth or something like that. I'm trying to think of who's yeah. in between that theater 
and uh, arena level. And those, and by like really cool venues everywhere we played, it was like these really yeah, yeah. like just kind of almost high scale type places. I'm like, oh, this is nice. Like that place we played in Philly. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Wipe yep. my, you know, brush dirt off my shoulder. So uh-huh. we had a, I'm not going to name the other person in this, but there was a disagreement, right, on tour. And yep. someone said, they're like, they're like, yeah, you know, you know, Papa Roach had, had previously fallen off. And, uh, and this is like, they're like, this is like their comeback. And I was like, I was thinking about, I was like, that doesn't sound right. So you know what I did? This is how, this is who I am. I went on <laughs> setlist.fm and okay. looked at every single headline show you guys did for like your whole career. I did that because I'm a weirdo. Okay. Be, well, I've no, never done that. Well, no, it's because I like to, pr- I'm so nitpicky about if someone says the wrong piece of information. Actually, like, so someone yeah, yeah. makes a statement and I'm like, well, let me look at the evidence to see if that's true. And you guys have basically been he- headlining the same venues since your like second or third album like because it took you a while to build up to the you know yeah. three thousand seaters but you you never re- and you, you even got a little bigger than that where you were headlining some of these like bigger package tours where you were actually in the arenas or in the, the amphitheaters so but those were seemed like when you were doing those you were part of like a bigger thing like some yeah. other yep. bigger apparatus but from what i've seen the band has been steady you know, that there hasn't been yeah. a lot of wavering in these, in the popularity. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've, we got, we, we've been hovering around, you know, anywhere from the, on the low side, like 2000 to 3000, 3500 for a while. Yeah. Um, sick. So, yeah, I mean, there was like the point where it really just kind of, fell off was i think like towards end of the second album was like it just kind of went downhill i mean every everybody was kind of going off the rails and it was just kind of insanity at that point um and we uh i think we called it early like on that cycle to kind of get back back in the studio for getting away with murder but um yeah, it was like it's been a, a wild ride, man. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I remember around that time because it what it seemed like and you know, you know how these things are. It seems like trends and what's cool or whatever moves so fast. So, yep. it and basically it's like same thing like my other band God forbid, we put out a record in 2001 and within a few years all of a sudden Lamb of God was coming out of nowhere and blowing up. Kill Switch Engage was coming out of nowhere and blowing up. Shadows Fall, In Flames, all these bands were, and it seemed to alter the landscape. And and being quote unquote new metal was kind of not cool, even though a lot of the yeah. bands were still big. But it seemed like you guys, in a way, were trying to not get caught up in that, and so you seem to evolve. Yeah pretty smoothly with yeah. the times and that was to me very apparent on getting away with the Mur- getting away with murder like that track yeah. itself is that's that might be my favorite song by by the band let me ask you this okay was that song okay now you can now if you don't want to admit it you can just wink and no one else will see because <laughs> it's audio so they won't they won't see this okay. but was that song at all inspired by muse 
Um, I would say probably, uh, I don't think so. All I right. think it was like, it, it was inspired actually by like this drum beat that Dave was playing at like a sound check. Mm-hmm. So he was playing this beat and Tubbin recorded it. Yeah, I think it, at the time he had like a little digital recorder or something. And he recorded that and threw it into Pro Tools and wrote the riff to that. Tobin wrote it. Yeah. See, but he, but he won't tell you that he's, he was like, y'all, I was listening to Muse Absolution. <laughs> he might, he, you and might I, be right about that. <laughs> well, no, as, it, Cause no I, listen, by the way, and I, you're talking to the guy, I've ripped off more Muse than anyone. So I'm not throwing stones <laughs> in a glass house. Okay. I, you know, you got to, there's yeah. certain bands we're allowed to steal from, right? We're allowed to steal from the Beatles, yeah. right? Yep. We're allowed to steal from Black Sabbath. You know, it's yep. just, it's just, it's just, that's just rock and roll, all right? We got to take, you're going to take, take from the best. It's called inspiration. Exactly. Exactly. Well, no, but that, I mean, to me, that record too, I mean, a massive breakthrough song for the band was Scars. Yeah. You know, because, and especially for that moment, because if you look at what was really taking off right then, right? It was like, My Chemical Romance was really huge. Uh, Jimmy Eat World. Taking yep. Back Sunday, all, you know, um, what's that other band? Uh, all American Rejects. Like that was really kind of popping at that time. And yeah. that song to me signified that you guys could really cross over into these other lanes. And you're, it, it, you know, th- that's, you know, I could be wrong, but it's like around the time, you know, J- Jacoby started to kind of lose some weight and like kind of like yep. his, his look started to change and you guys, was that very conscious or was that all natural? It was kind of like natural evolution. Well, kind of both, you know, we, we, we'd always been evolving even like before Infest, you know, that um, we, when we started, we sounded like a really bad version of like chili peppers mixed with Mr. Bungle. So, you know, it, it's always been evolving. And as soon as Infest, came out and you know kind of was everywhere we kind of knew we wanted to evolve and switch it up because you know we we look up to bands that evolve and change you know like chili peppers faith no more um nine snails like we want we knew that we wanted to be a career band and we knew that Evolution was important for us uh, personally, and we didn't want the the fans to get bored, you know, basically. And um, so at that time, it was, you know, we were coming off of Love, Hate, Tragedy, which is, it's one of my favorite records, um, but it's pretty dark. Yeah like pretty all the way through it's pretty dark um so when i was the funny thing is on that so i think we were on the second anger management tour we had the we 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 kind of we said yeah okay so we had a 
crew bus and a band bus, right? And we said, well, what if you get a studio bus and we can put that, we can, we can put that bus on the record budget. Yeah, that's a good idea. And of course, we, we didn't have anybody in our camp at the time say, ah, maybe you shouldn't do that, you know? <laughs> um, but we did it anyway. And I don't know, them budgets back then were pretty, pretty good. They, man. they were, they were pretty good. But <laughs> this was like, this was like when DreamWorks got, the DreamWorks folded. So we got shuffled from DreamWorks over to Geffen. And they were, everything started downsizing. Yeah. So, but, you know, because I think Love, Hate, Tragedy was so dark, I kind of, I personally wanted to feel a little bit of up, uplifting, at least, you know, in one or two songs. And so that's kind of how that song came about for me, like, you know, it was, I, I rode the, the studio bus because it was... For which song? The not party bus for Scars. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, it's, so simp- it's so simple. You know, it's like one of those things yeah. where... I mean, I, when I say that, I just mean just in terms of like chord structure. And, and, and one yep. thing you guys have the balls to do, which a lot of bands don't, which is to just start with like the vocal. And whether, if, it, <laughs> whether, if, if it's the verse or even the chorus but just like immediate you know and that's what it's one yeah. I, I, I like you know i'm very detail oriented like okay you know especially you guys you know and we've had this it's a little bit of a beatles thing i think you know it's yeah like, dude a lot of just, a lot of beatles songs are like that bam just hit him with it you know but anyway no no but it's it's so simple in a way where and i think a lot of hit songs right have this quality of familiarity right? We're like, have I heard that? Is that a cover? But it's not, but it's just because it, it's kind of, you know, there's only so many chord progressions that kind of make yep. sense to our ears. There's only so, you know, there's, you yep. know so there's all these c- commonalities. Um, but I don't know, there's just, there's just something, certain songs, despite its simplicity, it's just there's something magical there. And maybe, and maybe that's all lyrical. Thank you. Maybe that's all, you know, yeah. You know, or, you know, because you know how when you're crossing, in order to have a hit, it's regular people, you know, they're not necessarily understanding yeah. the instrumentation the way you or I might kind of right. piece of music. And that's really how they connect to it, you know, is that really universal quality of a lyric or a vocal melody or something like that, you know? Yeah, you know, Jacoby kind of put himself out there and, and, um, and I think it was that was one of those that just like all the, you know, stars aligned for that song to to be, you know, a hit. And it, uh, you know, I think because of sort of the quote unquote emo scene, you know, it started to to really like, I mean, I guess it was more of a legit emo scene than the later hair emo scene but uh yeah with that get you know with that blowing up i think that it sort of primed people's ears for that and then guitar being in like the pop 
genre area that kind of gave way to to allowing us to kind of dip our toes into that top 40 yeah, section well, so well it's interesting because again like i said me always thinking about these band arcs where i was working i was bartending you know before bad will start taking off i was bartending a, a edm festival and one of the okay. djs used a papa roach song to last resort and these are all 15 year old kids you know to like maybe 25 like the oldest is like maybe in their late 20s or 30s so it's a really young crowd and the entire audience knew the song this is yeah. you know 15 16 8 6 17 years after the song was released but you know in a weird sense right like you look at a band like five finger death punch right who on some level, right, in terms of like to selling tickets or something like that, right, selling merch is bigger than Papa Roach, but yep. pop more people, but Papa Roach is actually more famous. Does that make sense? It's like yep. a weird, and it's the same thing too. If you look at like streams and things like that, you guys like crush it with streaming. Yeah. You guys, uh, and, and I see that kind of with a few bands we toured with, you know, to me like Three Days Grace is kind of like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Shine Down, where they have these songs that are almost more famous than the band. Yeah. You know, like what, like they're yeah. like they're superfluous, kind of in 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 the culture. You know. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting thing because, and in some ways, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Because you yep. can get a bunch of mainstream crossover success. But it's hard to say if those people are going to actually, like all those people went to the EDM show, how many of them are, that yeah. know your song, how many of them are actually going to go to a Papa Roach show or buy a t-shirt or buy an right. album, right? And so yeah. it's like this idea yeah. that there's a, a, being famous or having a hit is kind of separate from actually making fans. Those are almost two separate avenues, you know? Is that, yep, is that something like how have you guys kind of like dealt with that of this kind of like uh double-edged sword of having a crossover hit but then also trying to make these hardcore fans so i mean for i think that we look at it more as a blessing than a curse because we don't really count on those people wanting to come to the show um it just means that we're part of pop culture, you know, and it's, it's something that has allowed us to have a career. And, you know, we, like you said, it, it doesn't necessarily trans translate to tickets sold, but it does help us with streaming and it, you know, every little thing adds up you know what i mean of course so it it's it's sort of like we just have that mindset of you know we're we're focusing on getting people to the shows kind of with our new music you know and just obviously putting a hundred, 110% into the live show and, and trying to make it the best that we can so that not only will those people come back, but they'll tell their friends, Hey, you know, this is a dope show come out. Um, and then all the other stuff 
the EDM covers and the remixes and, you know, the performances is just sort of icing on the cake, you know? Yeah. Well, one of the things, you know, like I said, just, just being someone who's examined these things from the outside looking in is this kind of consistency over the years. Cause a lot of people, these kind of fair weather fans, like, I, and this dude, this would happen all the time with bands we would tour with where people would be like, Oh, that band's still together. I swear to God. And I'm like, and yeah. obviously that's a very insulting thing to hear. Yeah. But when we're at the show and we see there's 5,000 motherfuckers here and yeah. everyone's singing every word, to me, it's actually more of a reflection of the person who makes the comment, which is a very, it's a very yeah. self-centered comment, which is totally, if I'm not paying attention, then it doesn't exist, which is, I think, yeah really horseshit way to look at things and i think there's also a kind of cultural elitism to that like uh i've you know i've moved on i'm on to other cooler things um and yeah. it always that kind of thing always always uh bothers me but me as someone who's you know tries to keep his ear low to the ground as far as what's going on i've just noticed that the band always seems to have a hit off every record or multiple hits um when you guys are writing, is that, you know, because so much of like, you know, the, the radio in a sense is like advertising, right? For like a new album mm -hmm. or like, hey, we're out here, we're doing stuff. Is that, is that like a great pressure when you're writing that, you know, that maybe is separate from the artistry element where it's like, well, if we don't have a hit, we're kind of fucked. So we better make sure we have this kind of song yeah um we've run into that maybe two or three times in our whole career i think internally because we're or from sort labels of, and things uh there's been like a couple of a couple of records where you know our label will say mm, i don't hear it yet yeah. and we'll you know uh in the early days of that it was like it was a sort of an insult to say oh well you don't we got you know we love these songs what and, but now we look at it as a challenge and and we we always say any chance that we we get to to just go back in and see what we can do next and, you know it's it's worth it uh it's it's worth it to to us to to explore because you know on um I'll give an example for Crooked Teeth. We um, we had we thought we had the record done, and our label said, "Nah, it's it's great, but the first thing we don't hear the first single yet." Yeah. So once you go back in, we went back in, and we wrote uh, none of the above which wasn't a single, but turned out to be one of our favorite songs. Turned that one in and they said, mm, no, not yet. <laughs> so we went again and we came back with help. And Great so, song. yeah, that was really kind of uh, a defining moment to say it was, it was kind of an ego check, you know, um, to say that, 
we don't always know everything, but the the whole point of this whole thing is to have people around us that can tell us when we when we don't have the goods to say keep going and you know we'll keep going so well we deal with the same label um yeah used to be 11 7 ounce uh better noise so you know i've you know i'm not the at the forefront of you know the writing composition for bad wolves but i'm kind of a peripheral member i contribute so i kind of hear things after the fact but you know you know i've i've dealt with uh alan uh who who owns the label and you know and you know, he, he has this philosophy of like, he's like, just give me three singles. Yeah. That's all. And then whatever else you do with the record is what, what you do. But they, they feel that for them, that's the ammunition to go out yeah. and market the record and sell the record. And, and I get that because, you know, they have, they're not signing any of these bands to be middle of the road or to do just okay. They want, you know, they, they want to do huge yeah you know um i mean i mean despite of what you just said about kind of being able to step outside of yourself because i think as the artist obviously we're too close to it sometimes and it's it's a great exercise just to show it to random people people don't even maybe you're not even fans of what you do just so you can get some like a, a more objective take but as a band that's had you have all these hits i mean i remember we would we'd be on tour and you guys would like start changing the set and like add a song yeah. take away a song and it's like you know a band has too many hits when you forgot about <laughs> hits you're like oh I forgot about that song <laughs> you know like when they're just pulling ones out the back pocket i'm like damn that's not even fair i mean <sighs> but does does is there like a person the band who is like usually like the hit person or is it do you do you guys feel like you you can recognize that, or was what you saying before basically an admission that you really can't, that no one really knows? Well, I think to be fair, I think that you know we obviously we know what a good song is, and we know what we like, um, but it's always good to have kind of that outside ear, you know, to, to have somebody say, especially for like radio, because it's constantly, it's sort of like a moving target. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, a couple years ago, it was like, well, that's too much guitar. You got to bring the guitar down or, you know, we need this song. We need something in a major key. So it's just like we we just write the songs that we want to write. And someone was telling you that, or is that something you guys were it's, coming with? It the label was giving us those sort of suggestions. Damn. And it's a, like a major key. That's a big. That's like a big note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but that I mean. I guess help kind of fall in that in that category, you know. You you guys have have never strayed uh, away from major keys, you know. You know what's up. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we mix it up. We we started out in D minor and then ended up in like C major. So, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of hits been written off that C, C starting off that C major, right? Yeah, I know. 
Well, let's let's, so, well, let's let's actually let's talk a little bit about that that kind of changing of you know just the just the evolution of of not only you guys but against the backdrop because you know I call it the imagine dragonsification of rock you know uh, to a lesser key lesser bit I call it the black keysification of 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 rock that happened in the last like five years where you know the what was called rock, and I'm putting that in, in kind of quotations, it was basically two bands that seemed to dominate every chart, which was Imagine Dragons and uh, 21 Pilots. And from yeah. my perspective, and I think a lot of people's perspective, it's debatable whether that's even rock. Because to me, it just sounds like pop with yep. a smattering of maybe a bluesy guitar here and there. But it has yep. a very production style and feel uh you know woes everyone's got to have a woe you know if the woes <laughs> you know uh <laughs> then you're just not it's not not going down for you and and this really you know bluesy element to like the way guitars were going to be approached you know and i and i think that that influenced a lot of bands because yeah you know even like the last foo fighters record the last Queens of the Stone Age record. But, you know, these are massive bands that really you feel like wouldn't be insecure at all. And even, you know, Matt Bellamy from Muse, I remember talking about this, you know, he kind of made a bunch of noise about saying people don't want to hear guitars right now. And they're a major guitar. You know, they might be yeah. the biggest rock band that makes the guitar a central instrument as much as anyone outside of, you know, Metallica yeah. or something like this. So... That's that's something you know. I think that the the genre as a whole has been struggling with, but I think I don't know if there's a better example of that being done well and helping a band than probably with Born for Greatness, which seemed like a kind of a breakthrough for you guys late in your career. Yeah, I mean, what's what what's the story around that song? Because it because it, it almost stood out against even that whole record, like it was something different, but it worked. Yeah, so <clears throat> for Crooked Teeth, uh, so that was like After Fear, which we, we did with Kevin Churko. You guys went gent. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Even though the, con the, the, little... the connection sounds more gent to me than fear. I'm just saying. Okay, yeah. You know. uh, so for for um cricket teeth we uh we kind of wanted to the the consensus at least with tobin and me was to kind of get with people outside of the rock genre like do we did some co-writes and um the the people that we worked with were kind of well the guy who co-wrote Born for Greatness um, is Jason Avigan, and he's he's a producer, songwriter. He used to be in a rock band, and um, now he writes for, I mean, Maroon 5, Madonna. He's one of them. Uh, he's one of them. I hate uh, those people, and, all talented and amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> But we got with him, and and this was even before he had his studio built. But 
it was just one of those like we kind of uh the the goal for that song was to instead of doing the normal like verse chorus um verse chorus bridge you know thing uh we we kind of brought like a uh electric adm type of song structure so it was like more like the drop verse drop build up to a drop you know and and then it was like all right so we need this we're just gonna do like this blues guitar thing and so i grabbed it and you know wrote the riff but it was like the idea was just to take ourselves out of our comfort zone, go into different territory, go into like more pop territory. And then if, if it felt like it was going way too far out there that we could always reel it back in. And, um, yeah, we, I mean, I guess that's probably the song with, one of the songs with the least amount of guitars, but the drop is a guitar riff. So, but you know what's ironic of... about that song, though, and I was kind of surprising to me before we toured together is like people go off, like it gets such yeah. a big crowd response. Like it's it comes off very heavy live. Yeah, in, totally. In, yep. In a way that I kind of didn't anticipate, and and by the way, and 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 the same thing with the follow-up record who do you trust like i remember first hearing the record and it was like i was kind of thrown off a little bit because i was like oh it seems like they went more in this direction and it's kind of yeah because you know, i'm I'm, ver- I'm used to you know your guitar tone is so dominant you know throughout the 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 history of the band and, it, and it's such a signature thing and it seemed like the band was going in this in this different direction but just like that song, like everything that I felt was like, I don't know, a little more restrained on record, def- uh-huh. definitely hit hard live in, in, a, yeah. in a different kind of way that I thought was awesome. Like I really got to appreciate the songs of Who Do You Trust more in the, in, in the live setting. I think, yeah, you, you have a good point. Like it, um, it, we kind of, I don't want to say we went, guitar light but you know we wanted to to give more of like a sonic kind of like a a soundscape to the whole record and have like different instruments doing different things and and um but live it's like we just got to turn we got to turn it up and we got to you know go 100 percent, go full full tone you know yeah no i think it i think it i think it works works great and i think um you know one of the things i want to kind of just ask you about with just just the way the industry's changing you know and 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 directly related to 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 the record label we both work with where i noticed with bad wolves last record and Papa Roach last record the overall like sales direct sales seem to be down and yeah. i was, at first, I was like kind of bummed out, and I was wondering if you guys were bummed out. But then I heard, kind of from the higher ups, that the label is 
everything they're focusing on is streaming. That that's yep. where so so that yeah, if you if you look at it in terms of the old school metrics, it looks like bands are falling off. And actually, you could say, and same thing with uh, this happened to bring me the horizon too with their last record, uh, where the sales, the actual sales are down, but the if you look at the streams for you guys, for us, bring me through the roof, and that's the only yeah. metric that really that really matters are you guys kind of like on board with that are you not as much paying attention to those hard sales and more focusing on the streams and using that as a metric yeah i mean it it's it's really just about streaming now um i know a couple people who still like to listen to cds but not me you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i mean it's just the convenience is just it beats everything. So it's like, for us, it's this, it, the, the great thing about the streaming is that it's, it's a direct metric to who our fans are and what songs they like. And, you know, it also helps out with making, making live sets and. Yeah. You can actually see what songs are popular. You can actually go by area and see what songs are totally getting, you know uh which i know you know metallica they'll use that because they change their set list every day um yeah and one thing i noticed you know i wanted to t- talk about in here because like i said th- this is the beauty of being able to tour with bands you get to see things a lot of people don't get to see uh yeah you guys would do long sound checks and not because you were sound checking because you guys were constantly working on things you were yeah. Working on interludes, working on uh, putting new songs into the set. I would see Tobin every day. He would be tweaking his rig and working on tones and effects. And you guys are just, you're meticulous, it seems like. Uh, and you don't kind yep. of rest on your laurels. Is that a newer thing? Or is that something that you've been, that you've always guys have been like that? always been like that yeah always like you know tobin especially can't stand to play the same songs more than once i'm with him uh, i love it i love changing the set yeah um so we we like we like to change it we like to you know at least have an a and a b set uh we we you know we have most of the songs that everybody wants to hear we have a few songs that we like to play um and then you know to have a a really nice cohesive show and having like you know we'll build in some interludes or whatever so jacoby can can go back and get a breath because you know he does not he's not going to slow down we've told him basically our whole career Hey, can you just stand here for a minute so you can like Catch not breath. be out of breath? <laughs> uh, and he just can't bring himself to do it. So, you know, we work around that by building in interludes, and um, you know, he's he's a show. Kobe's a showman, and everybody loves loves him for it. And um, he sounds you know, so good. So too, we, man. he's he kills it. He's like honestly, he's in. The way he's improved over the years, technically, yeah. Yeah. as a singer, yep. is just unbelievable because it's not that he wasn't didn't start out as good, but he, to me, early on, he wasn't, he didn't have those complexities 
and kind of vocal. No, down. he didn't have the technical ability he has now. Yeah, and that's just he, I, you know. Go ahead, he was mostly like, he was mostly like, uh, what do you want to say? Like, just just heart. He was just he was just heart and energy, and he could get he could hit the notes, most of them, but you know he was a sh- he was like in your face and and a showman and um, it's only been I mean I'd say probably within the last like eight eight years that he really like has stepped up to that next level of having that technical ability to not only not only be on stage and hit the notes but to be running around uh and um being able to hit more notes now than he used to be be able to and having them sound better and you know not pushing his his body to the 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 brink of destruction basically um because he's had two surgeries but i think finally he's got his technique down to where it's not damaging his vocal cords anymore so it's it's insane uh what he's been able to do lately all right what about the jerry horton vocal technique all right you be hitting the high notes i've been hearing them shits <laughs> and they're on point okay we did this show we did this acoustic thing in toronto or montreal we were somewhere in, in canada yeah. and we yeah. did a little iHeartRadio radio thing and these guys showed up and they're just killing the game acoustic i'm mad as hell i'm like we have to play after these people this is not this is not right <laughs> It's not correct. All right. They need to fix this bill. Oh, man. Um, and Jerry's vocals. See, people don't you know. He's back there killing the game with the vocals. All right. Have you always been killing the game? With I the appreciate high notes? that. Listen, I'm jealous. Uh, I, I got to hit the high notes too. But, you know, yeah. just, you know it's hit or miss. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. It's hit or miss sometimes. But, uh, no, nah, I mean, I just like – it was around – the getting with murder cycle where, you know, I just, I started singing back up and uh, that was when we were working with Howard Benson and it was, uh, he would do all the harmonies. Howard you know, would he'd do like, not Howard would, he wouldn't sing them, but he would like come up with the harmonies. Jacoby would sing them. Gotcha. And then, then we, I had to do it live. So I didn't, I wasn't even really sure that I could even do them. And then I just started going for it and figured out that I could, I could do it. Um, and then it just sort of, it, it stuck, you know, I, I, I enjoy, I, I, I have fun with it. I like doing that and, you know, filling out that, that sound. And, um, there is a limit to the, to the highness I know, but, I know. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just saying, you kill it. It's fun. I, by the way, I love... Appreciate that. Another thing I love about the show is that you have Anthony there as a kind of multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. Uh, playing guitar and, you know, he, I think he does some vocals as well, right? And he does some... Yeah, he does. He does so he does all kinds of stuff. Does percussion. It's when but, but that's a, a sweet three-part harmonies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, also, you know, I have to just talk about, you know, I... You guys are one of those bands too, and it's another trend I've noticed. You know, across the, these these successful rock bands, you know, 
you guys just keep getting better looking and in better shape as you age. All right, what's going on? What kind of kale are you getting? What kind of performance enhancing compounds? Or is this just, just, just not drinking and just doing the right thing? All right, is that, is that what's going on here? What's happening? All right, I mean, there's fair. a little getting, bit of that. I like donuts. All right, it's sad. <laughs> I'm jealous. All right, what's going on here? All right, how is this possible? You guys look fantastic, all right? It's not fair. Got Appreciate abs that. and stuff. All right, it's not cool. Thank you. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's really only one set of abs in the whole band, but okay. Uh, okay. Um, now nah, it's just work. It's working out every day because you get to a point where you get so old. It's either you work out or you feel like crap. You know, yeah. so lesser of the two evils and sort of because uh, nobody wants to see an old guy who's also fat. No, but that's like, what I was, listen, but this is what I was saying. I've noticed this with all the bands, these like, you know, bands that have been successful for a while. I mean, pretty much across the board, dudes are like taking yeah. it. They're like, you know, looking good is kind of part of the job, you know? It is part of the job. You know, and so, it's, uh, you know, something I, you know, I come from the metal world. You know, you could, you could be, you could have a big, big old beer gut, you know, have your, you know, <laughs> Gibson Explorer hanging that's over true. it. No, everyone was cool. You know, you're cool, you know, looking that's true. fucked up yeah. and have some, you know, acne on your forehead. And it was like, yo, that's metal, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's it's, true. This, this, this radio rock world, all right, I, you know, I'm not ready. You know, I got I to gotta keep, it, keep it tight. You got to have a cool leather jacket, all right? You, you had all the things. No, I listen, you I know what's fucked things. up is I just got my cool guy leather jacket, right? No, you had before. it. No, when we toured together, no, I was no, we were wearing the the denim jackets, the cult of individuality. Oh, that's true. You know what's that's funny true. is I have Jacoby's. The one oh, really? the one with the orange symbol. Yeah. He he we traded jackets at the end of the tour. And and he forgot about it? No, no. He I basically I had ordered the jacket from Ron at, uh -huh. at Cult and it was out of stock. And I told the story to Jacoby, and he's like, well, just take mine. He's like, I've been wearing it all year. Because he's a nice guy. And yeah. I would sell it on eBay, you know, for $9,000. I'm like, Jacoby's jacket, give me the money. <laughs> Actually, I've had, every time I wear a jacket, <laughs> someone tries to buy it from me. So, but I'll never sell it. See? You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, what's funny about it, you know, I'm 6'2", broad shoulders. The jacket's a yeah. little big on me. So, I don't know how the hell Jacoby is wearing this big motherfucker. He, uh, he's, he's what he calls barrel chested. Yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, he's got circumference to his rib cage. I'm jealous. It's pretty crazy. People. I could do as many pushups. But that's how he's got those pipes. All right. That's true. Genetics. Yeah. It's, it yeah. is, it, it is, it is genetics. Just kind of looking overall at, at, at the way you guys do things. You know, for me, it's very, you know, I use the touring. And especially with you know bands like yourself, were successful band for a long time, never got to tour with before, as really these educational experiences and learning, like okay, what does this yeah. band do? What's like the DNA, right, of yeah. a yeah. successful band? I can tell you that we uh, we did we did we did pick up a lot of stuff like early on when we started touring with bands like Corn, and uh, we went on tour with we did a small. Australian tour with the Chili Peppers, which wow. was amazing. Um, yeah, we we constantly were taking notes. Yeah, 
because of your approach is what you know is what you do on the road especially because you guys are road dogs that's how you you know it seems like that's how you pay your bills and that's how you kind of make your bones is it just a job at this point is it groundhog day or is it something that you still get that feeling and it still has the passion you know because i i I see a lot of people that get you know kind of bitter and they're just a little over it and it's like time to make the donuts i mean how's how's that feeling of doing it because you guys are are so professional is it which one column a or column b or little both um it's mostly we we love it still yeah um there are some days where it feels more like work and I think that it just boils down to if the crowd is amazing, then it's just awesome. You know, if the crowd's a little sleepy and we got to work a little more to get them going, then it sort it starts to feel a little cumbersome, but you know, we, we still have a great time playing together and playing on stage and, and even playing, you know, the catalog uh, will, you know, some some bands won't like to play their stuff, their, their old stuff or their, the classics or whatever. Uh, and I've seen some of those bands not play the songs that people want to hear. And it's dumb. It's annoying. So we still, you know, obviously still love playing the classics. And the 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 crowd loves it like it, it's to see that to see the crowd light up when we start playing you know when i start playing the intro to between angels and insects it's just like erupts and that just makes it all worth it you know so we still we still do love it yeah i mean it's a real testament to any band's career where you can play stuff from your earlier records and play stuff from your most recent record and it doesn't feel like yeah. there's any drop off between yeah. the enthusiasm that's it's so hard to do um you know what's a, a interesting observation too about your guys live show is out of all like the massive bands we toured with you guys were the only ones that didn't do an acoustic section like i was like and i was like it was really interesting to me because i was like in, in my theory not knowing i was like i get the feeling from these guys they're like it doesn't care matter what kind of song it is they're an energy band and they want to keep the energy yeah. going. is that is that what that is yes and no i mean we have done uh we did it when i think we were on tour with shinedown we did a couple of acoustic songs um i think for that tour that we did together we do kind of like to to go up and down but i think we did it in a way on that tour where it wasn't just like the full you know breakdown of you know really like sit down and chill you know it was kind of more we more it was more like a vibe it out um maybe like i think we were playing periscope on that tour and like obviously scars and i think that was like sort of like the the lowest the energy got and um for i i think you're right i think for that tour we wanted to kind of keep it up but generally we do like to to take the crowd 
take the crowd on a ride and and have a little bit of dynamics. But I don't think that maybe aside from doing uh, a dedicated acoustic show that we 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 don't like to spend too much time in that world. Well, I I like it a just because I think it's different. You know, you're not just doing it because you feel like you have to, or because that's like the yeah the, the standard the thing to do. And yeah. and yeah, I think there's something to be said about a band that has this really great ability to cross over into all these realms uh, accessible, but it can all have energy. It doesn't mean just a, a hit or something that that crossover doesn't necessarily have to be like this super light thing. You know, and there's something yeah. about that yeah. that I that I really enjoy about what you guys do. Well, listen, Jerry. Appreciate that. I, listen, I, I'm really happy you took the time to do this. Like I said, I've been I've been looking for you. You've been on my radar. <laughs> all right, I'm not stalking you <laughs> per se. No. I'm just saying I'm yeah. just looking for elusive Jerry. Okay, I'm saying hey, come out. <laughs> all right, come come yes. hang with Doc Coyle. You know, what I'm saying we don't have to drink. Yes. We can get some ginger ale. You know, do some yep. crazy like that. You know, maybe get some some Red Bulls or if you're Monster, I don't know if you're sponsored by Monster. You know, I don't know. We're not, but okay. I'm down. I'm down. All right. Well, you know, serious coffee. Are you a coffee guy? I am a coffee guy. Okay. We'll just, you know, we'll just get all hyped up on espresso, you know, do some one arm push-ups, and, you know, make it happen. Let's go. There we go. Yeah. I just, I just crushed, I just crushed a, a <laughs> cup of uh, this t- turmeric Starbucks coffee. You know what I'm saying? People Ooh. know about that. That's right. All right. Fuck, ain't fucking around. Well, listen, brother, um, you know, do we, we have any, no one we're going to expect this new record or is it, it's probably be like next year, right? It's, it's probably going to be next year. We have some uh, re-records of Invest uh, that we did recently that, and we're doing some, having some reimaginings happen with some collaborators, which may come out the end of this year. But new stuff will be next year. Okay. Well, I'll look forward yeah. to it. I mean, you're, you, you know, you don't need me to do anything. You guys are doing all right, all on your own. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, you, you take care of yourself. I really appreciate this. And I really hope we get to uh, see each other sometime soon, do some shows. Yes, sir. It was great talking with you, Doc. Thank you, man. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. All right. See ya.
track is entitled come around and it's from the most recent pop roach album which is entitled who do you trust came out 2019 love that song and i love that conversation with my man jerry elusive jerry he's no longer elusive jerry he is showing up on time present jerry (laughs) no that was a really great time i had so much fun with him Every guy in that band is so warm and gracious and generous and talented. They, If you have a chance to see Papa Roach live, do it. They they put on an amazing show. And they, they're one of those bands. They just keep kind of getting better with age. And it's extremely inspirational. You guys hear that? I just got an acoustic with me, you know? Now it's like... Uh, what is that? Unplugged the dot coil. Anyway, I just picked up my guitar. It's funny. I had, I don't know. I mean, I talked about it a couple weeks ago where I was kind of going through a depression and it, truth be told, it, it kind of lasted a good amount of time. And, and it's hard for me to be really creative uh, musically when I'm not feeling well. It's like, Everything for me with music is all about positive inertia. And so I, you know, and I'm sure a lot of it had to do with being sick and having surgery. And, you know, it's been, I, I said, I've, I've had the full 2020 experience, you know, deaths in the family, uh, my work stopping, getting sick. It's, it's really everything. And, and trust me, and even with all that, I still feel that there's so many people that have had it worse, you know, but, you know, coming out of my state of mind or attempting to, cause it kind of, kind of drifts back and forth sometimes. I don't know. I've just been really excited about music. And for me, I think the main thing is always just, just wanting to pick up that instrument and, and having fun with it. So I've just been kind of re-listening some older records and playing songs I haven't played in a while. And you got to have that thing that made you want to pick up the instrument in the first place. You, know, you got Christmas coming up and Christmas for young people who want to learn an instrument. It's you have a lot of I have a lot of definitive memories about getting an amplifier or getting certain albums that 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 change your life. So something about this time always makes me want to play guitar for fun or learn a song that I haven't, that, that, that I like, but I don't know. And just keeping that, that inspired feel good thing. So I'm just trying to, listen, I'm trying to carry that in, into the new year. Like I said earlier, I'm moving. Did I say it earlier? I don't know, but I'm moving. So it's kind of like new year, new start, 
and keeping the positive inertia going. So I'm looking forward to it. Just a couple notes. The X-Men podcast t-shirts are sold out. They gone. And that was kind of a slow, slow roll. I had to kind of hustle to, to move some units out here. The other t-shirt sold better. You guys wanted the t-shirt with my goofy ass face on it. The Doc Coil t-shirt. But I don't think I'm going to remake either. That's it. It's like limited edition. And next year, I'm going to revamp the whole site with gear, probably new t-shirt. But I'll probably just do it like a pre-order where you just order it. I'm making them and that's it. New pics, new pictures, some new stuff. I think I'm going to get some stickers. Maybe a pin. We'll see. The The whole Doc Coil merchandise experience has been just that, an experiment. And we'll see what happens with that. And I was serious what I said before. If you want to email me, just ask me some questions. I'll answer them at the end of the show. So just email me at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. It's EX. And keep on rocking and rolling, y'all. Keep on. Here's a good quote right here. Keep on rocking and rolling and Mamba is out. Peace. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts? Thank you. <laughs>